the text for this morning's worship service is taken from 1 Peter 3, verse 15. Let's read that once again. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, and that includes you boys and girls. As you know, this season, the Emmanuel Church is going to be concentrating on the work of outreach. Our home mission committee has been hard at work preparing us for our task of reaching out to the community. They have prepared materials for us to study and invited speakers to stimulate us in that regard. No doubt to some of you this is a little bit scary. You feel uneasy about it. You don't know what to expect. Am I going to be asked to go knocking on doors? Am I going to be asked to go stand on a soapbox on a corner of a street where I have to proclaim the gospel? Or perhaps I will be asked to talk to my immediate neighbors and to my friends about my faith or to to hand out pamphlets in the neighborhood or in my workplace. I'm not so sure if I'm willing to do that. I'm not so sure if that kind of evangelism is effective either. I'm not a very good speaker. I know what I believe, but I don't have all the answers. For people will come with arguments to which I won't know to give an answer. It's all a bit scary to me. I feel somewhat uneasy about this. Well, the text that I chose for this morning's service should be of some help to you in that regard. Peter speaks here about our conduct as witnesses in the world. But note well that in the text, Peter does not say anything about knocking on the doors of your neighbors or about handing out pamphlets or standing on a soapbox in a park proclaiming the gospel. Strangers will not listen to us. There are many reasons for that. No, Peter is speaking here about our conduct in our everyday lives, in the interaction we have with those with whom we are in daily contact. It is through our everyday conduct that we win others for Christ. And we can only have an impact on those with whom we have a relationship. I will preach to you this morning about your conduct as a witness in the world for Christ. And then we will see that the text teaches us that we must be in the first place dedicated, in the second place prepared, in the third place non-judgmental, and then finally gentle. So I will preach to you about your conduct as a witness in the world for Christ. The text teaches us that we must be dedicated, prepared, non-judgmental, gentle. Peter begins this text by stating that you must set Christ apart as Lord in your heart. He does that after he quoted from Isaiah 8, verses 13 through 14, saying, Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. If you realize the background of that quotation, then you will see how appropriate these words are in the way that we deal in the world. 
Isaiah spoke these words to King Ahaz of Judah at a time when he was in a crisis situation. The Assyrians were about to invade Judah. Ahaz was afraid. The kings of Israel and Syria wanted Ahaz to join them in an alliance against the Assyrians. Ahaz, however, did not want to do that. He had a better idea. Behind the scenes, Ahaz made an alliance with Assyria. And so now it is Judah and Assyria against Israel and Syria. He put his trust in the sword and not in the Lord. He thought that that would be a better alliance. And he went against the advice of Isaiah, who told him that that would not be the way to proceed. Isaiah had told Ahaz that he should not fear the Assyrians or anybody else. He says, don't be afraid of the Assyrians like the others are, like Israel and Syria. And don't make any kind of unholy alliance. Trust in the Lord to deliver you. As Isaiah said, the Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. Isaiah 8, verse 13. Peter now says the same thing to the recipients of this letter and therefore also to you and to me. A person of the world is afraid of many things. We saw that last week, for example, with regard to the economic crisis in the United States. And there is panic. People are afraid of a recession. They're afraid of losing their money. They're afraid of losing their comfortable position in life. In this world of today, people are constantly afraid of losing something or someone near or dear to him or her. Their jobs, their reputations, their friends. And they will make all kinds of twists and turns in order to, re in order to retain what they have and to get more. And then when they are faced with a crisis, they will give in to their fears and take the easiest way out, even if it means making unholy alliances with others. That's what we are all like by nature. But now listen to what Peter says. He says, as a believer, you must not conduct yourself in that way. And you don't have to. You can and you must trust in the Lord your Savior no matter what happens. And therefore he says that a Christian must set Christ apart in his heart as Lord. He uses an interesting word here. The word setting apart has to do with holiness. That is why it says in the King James Version that you must sanctify the Lord your God in your hearts. And the English Standard Version that you must regard Christ the Lord as holy. The same word is used in the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be your name. When you hallow God's name, then you treat it as holy. And then you dedicate yourself to that name. You set that name apart for yourself. For the Lord our God is a holy God. And that means that He is set apart from all that is sinful. 
He is unique. There is no one like him. He is almighty. Setting him apart in your heart means that you are dedicated to him, to that almighty God. And when you do that, then you do not have to be afraid of the things that the world is afraid of. And please note that Peter refers here to the heart of a person. In referring to the heart, he makes it personal. We are not dealing with something abstract here. No, this applies to me and to you. Each one of us has to be trained not to give in to our fears, but to give things over to the Lord. If you give in to your worldly fears, then you are bound to make wrong decisions. For then you are short-sighted. And then you won't have the big picture in mind. And then you certainly will not have God in mind. When your heart is dedicated to the Lord, then you are not afraid of anything. For He is the one who directs your path. He is the one who will protect you. But we have difficulty putting our trust in the Lord, don't we? All of us. We are often afraid of the same kinds of things the world is afraid of. But now think about who wrote these words. Peter. And we all know what Peter was like. He was often afraid. Remember how he almost drowned when he no longer trusted in the Lord who enabled him to walk on the water? He was afraid and he started sinking. The Lord Jesus said to him at that time, Oh, you man of little faith. Elsewhere he says, You have no faith because at that moment he didn't. I remember how afraid he was when he was about to be exposed as one of the followers of the Lord Jesus. Just prior to that, he had sworn to the Lord Jesus that he would stand by him, even to the point of death. Yet, soon after that, he denied him. He denied that he knew him. He denied him three times. He was not any different than a worldly person at that time. He was afraid for his own neck. Peter fell. But what, did the Lord, what, but what did the Lord Jesus do? He forgave him. He continued to minister to him. And he restored him in his relationship with him. The Lord Jesus continued to teach him to trust in him. And Peter learned that more and more. And that's the way it is for all of us. We do not need to be spiritually perfect in our dedication to the Lord. None of us is. But we do have to continue to grow in our faith. Just as Peter did. He grew in his faith. That was evident the time that Peter was brought before the Sanhedrin. And they threatened him if he continued to teach in the name of the Lord Jesus. What did Peter say? He said, as we read in Acts 5, verse 29, we must obey God rather than men. When Peter gave his answer to the Sanhedrin, he knew that this could cost him his freedom, even his life. 
Ultimately, that did not matter to him. Knowing the Lord Jesus was much more important. And he knew that God is mightier than a whole Sanhedrin together and mightier even than the whole Roman army. And isn't that true, brothers and sisters? The 16th century reformer John Knox used to say, with God on his side, man is always in the majority. And that is also how Peter felt. Peter was not afraid any longer. He knew that he could hurt him, but he also knew that he could not harm him. He trusted in the Lord to protect him and to bless him. He had set Christ apart in his heart. He had learned to do that, and he had to continue to learn to do that. And so he also had his answer ready. I will obey the Lord God rather than men. And now here in this letter he tells his readers to be ready to give their answer as well. He says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. We come to the second point. When Christ lives in your heart, then you must also have a ready answer. Whatever the heart is full of will overflow through the mouth. Peter was totally dedicated to the Lord Jesus. He could not help but proclaim him. He could not help but tell everyone else about the wonderful news concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. And that he rose from the dead. That he gave his life to everyone who believes in him. How in the world could he keep his mouth shut about something wonderful as that? There was that great hope in his heart. Peter, however, also knew what he believed. Peter knew the scriptures. He was able to readily quote from God's word. He had prepared himself for that. And that is the only way you too will be able to witness, brothers and sisters, boys and girls. We have to be able to give an answer to those who have questions. Our English word apology comes from the Greek word translated as answer in the text. But to give an apology does not mean to say that you are sorry. Rather, it means that you must give a defense. You must defend your faith. And for that, knowledge is necessary. We are about to enter a new study season. Although there are some people who rarely, if ever, did attend. In the past, the study clubs have been generally well attended. And that's good. For if you do not study God's word, then how can you be prepared, be prepared to give an answer to those who want to know about the hope that is within you? But how much do you learn in those study societies? Does your attendance increase your knowledge? How well do you prepare for those meetings? Note well that Peter did not just study the scriptures, but that he also committed portions of the Bible to memory. And you may say, well, Peter was an exception. He was an apostle. He was a learned man. Please remember, however, that Peter actually was an ordinary working man. He was not an academic. 
He learned how to fish, not how to write doctoral theses. He was an ordinary man like you and me. Because of the great hope that lived in him, because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, he wanted to know everything about him in the scriptures. He wanted to know how the scriptures pointed to him, how they were fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. But Peter did not just do self-study. He also had an audience in mind. He didn't just do it for himself. For he understood where he had to make his defense. Among the Jews who had been expecting the Messiah. They claimed the Old Testament scriptures for their authority. And did not see how that Jesus of Nazareth fulfilled those scriptures. And for that reason Peter studied the Old Testament scriptures carefully. In order to see how those scriptures pointed to Christ. Now we have to keep that principle in mind as well. Today we are dealing with a, within a totally different cultural context and with a different audience. Today we are dealing with people who have heard about Christianity in one way or the other. However, they have all kinds of misconceptions about it. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, how do we make a defense to them? What are they saying about Christians and about Christianity and about the Bible and about the church? Where are these people coming from? Where, what kind of misconceptions do they have? And so we should be prepared for their misconceptions and for their questions. And we should study the scriptures to see how we can defend the faith. A good place to prepare yourself is in the study societies. Brainstorm together and anticipate the questions and the attitudes of your neighbors and fellow workers and think about how you should give an answer. What, for example, are they saying about the Bible? There are those who want to, buy, who want to ban the Bible, for example, because they say it is full of hatred. Hatred against homosexuals, for example. How do you defend yourself against such a charge? Do you know how? They also bring the charge, for example, that the Bible promotes war and bloodshed. Look at the Old Testament where God tells Israel to go out and destroy other nations. And they also say that, the Bible, that in the Bible there is a bias against women. And that they are treated as inferior to men. How do you defend yourself against that? Can you? Do you know how? There are also misconceptions about the church. They say that the church is full of hypocrites. They say one thing and they do another. And they will give examples of well-known fallen evangelists who speak out strongly against all kinds of immorality. And then themselves are caught in some terrible sins. Whereas in the past, Christians were respected members of the community. Now they are viewed with suspicion. The morality of the world now considers Christian virtues immoral. Christians are considered to be immoral and intolerant because they are in favor of the death penalty. Because they are against abortion. 
and because they are against same-sex marriages. And they want to restrict everyone and make them fit into their mold. What do you say when people tell you these things? How do you refute those charges? Do you know how? How are you a defender of the faith within that cultural context? You have to be prepared. You have to learn how to defend yourself from the scriptures. You have to ask yourself the same questions that the world asks. And face those questions head on. Don't avoid them. God gives the answer to all of these things. And in order to be able to do that, you have to make your faith your own. You have to struggle with the scriptures. You have to learn how to read the scriptures. And you have to commit certain passages to memory. You have to be able to defend the faith, all of us. But, and that brings us to the third point, dealing with our non-judgmental attitude. You have to have the right kind of attitude. You will have no effect on others if you are aloof and come across as self-righteous if you preach to others without understanding where the other person is coming from. James says that you must be quick to listen and slow to speak. Evangelism is more about listening than about speaking. It is more learning about the other person and the kinds of struggles that they are dealing with than you coming with all kinds of scriptural truths. For you may come with all kinds of scriptural truths, but you will have no impact whatsoever if it does not resonate with the person. People are at different stages in their life. Research done in, in, research done in England indicates that someone needs to hear the message of the gospel at least 30 times before it really takes hold of them. And so when you talk to a person, you have to know what stage he or she is in. Is this one of the first times they hear the gospel? What do they know about Christianity? And if they have heard the gospel ten or more times, they will be at a different stage, and they will have different questions. At each stage, different questions will come up. And some will be angry at Christians. How do you approach them? Well, you have to approach them in a non-judgmental way. And you have to start by dealing with them in their situation. Think about how the Lord Jesus did that with the Samaritan woman at the well. Samaritans only believed in the five books of Moses. They did not, they did not receive the prophets or the other writings as authoritative or as scriptural. And they had a mixture of heathen practices and beliefs as well. The Jews despised them. They were a mixed race. And Jesus knew all about that. But then he meets that Samaritan woman at the well. And he begins by asking her to give him something to drink. Jews normally do not talk to Samaritans. They do not associate with them. And the Lord Jesus knew that. And he also knew that this woman had 
many, had had many husbands, and that therefore she was somewhat of a loose woman, that she was not a well-respected woman. All these things created, created a great opportunity for him. For what does he do? Now he deliberately goes out of his way to talk to this woman. And that totally surprised her. She did not expect that. He asks her nicely to give him some water. He does not demand it from her. No, he wants to have a relationship with this woman. And in this way he breaks the ice. And that's the first lesson we must learn as well. For example, when you're dealing with a known homosexual or a prostitute or a drug addict, they do not expect you as a Christian to come up and to be kind to them or nice to them, especially when they're not nicely dressed and they stink. And they will think that we as Christians consider ourselves too good for them. Nothing, however, is farther from the truth. They have a wrong conception of who a true Christian is. The Samaritan woman at the well also had the wrong conception of the Lord Jesus Christ. She thought that he was a legalistic, arrogant Jew like the rest of them. And instead, she found a kind and compassionate person. And the Lord Jesus also tied into the situation at hand. And that's another lesson we can learn from the Lord Jesus. She was at the well. She needed water. And so the Lord Jesus makes the connection of that physical water to the living water which only he as the Messiah could give. And then step by step he leads her into that insight. He spoke to her within the context of the situation that she was in. He did not start talking to her out of the blue and come with an unrelated topic. He didn't hand her a pamphlet. No, he led the conversation naturally from one thing to the next. And brothers and sisters, we too must look for opportunities to connect with those with whom we come into contact. For example, when someone uses the name of the Lord Jesus in vain in your presence, then you have an opportunity to witness. You may say, I hear that you take the name of the Lord Jesus on your lips. Do you know who he is? and what he stands for, and that you can explain. There are all kinds of opportunities to witness. You have an opportunity when someone is in a crisis, and there is no other way out. You always have an opportunity to reach out to others, to be kind to them, and to show the mercy of God. You have an opportunity to explain to your co-workers why you will not go along with doing business on a Sunday. And so the list can go on and on. All kinds of opportunities present themselves to you every day, and you may not waste them. You have to know how to take advantage of them. You have to be prepared at all times to give an answer. Let me ask you, do the people around you know that you're a Christian? No doubt they do. But do they know what you stand for? Do they know what that means? For if you never talk about your Christianity in a meaningful way, then you will not win anyone for Christ. Then you will not win them for Christ even though you work with them every day and you go out for lunch with them and you attend some of their office parties and perhaps some of their family. 
get-togethers as well. Let me tell you a story about two men, John and James. John was a Christian, James was not. Every Saturday they played tennis together. They did that for years. And then afterwards they would go and have coffee together. And they would talk to each other about all kinds of things. About their families and about work and about politics and about sport. And they really got along together. But then one day James became sick. The doctors couldn't do anything for him any longer. John came to visit him. He tried to give him some hope from the Bible. He said to James that it was important that he would speak to him about Christ before he would die. How do you think James reacted? Well, in his heart, he said to himself, Well, that's very nice, but why is he putting in all that effort? If it really was all that important, then he would have told me about that a long time ago. Isn't it a wonder that he thought that way? Of course. Let me ask you, how do you witness about your faith to your friends? Do they know about the wonderful hope that lives inside of you? Do you talk about it? Does it live in your heart? Words, however, without deeds make little impact. You also have to choose your words carefully and be gentle. We come to the fourth and final point. The text of this morning comes after the section dealing with the way we use our tongues. Peter says in verse 8 and following that if you love life and want to see good days, that then you must keep your tongue from evil. That you should not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. That instead you must seek peace and pursue it. He urges the readers to be sympathetic, to love as brothers, and to be compassionate and humble. Oh, our tongues. How difficult it is for us to use our tongues in the right manner. There are some people who can talk and talk and talk, and they will talk to you about church matters and about how wonderful God is, and they will do that all along, and they will have tears flowing down from their face and tell them how wonderful it is to be a Christian. But often those who talk the most do the least. Often their actions are not in accordance with their words. They're often boastful and self-serving. And they come across as having all the answers. They talk and talk because they want others to see how a good a Christian he or she is. And then they are not honest and they are not wise with their tongues. James says in chapter 3, verse 6 of his letter, The tongue is also a fire, an evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. People will attack also with their tongues. And then it's hard for us to show a different side, to show a kind attitude towards them. In the midst of a verbal barrage, it's hard for us to be gentle and to respect others. And that is more difficult for the one than for the other. However, the Lord God teaches us to be gentle. 
and respectful. Even when others ridicule you or belittle you or misrepresent your position, you have to remain kind and gentle. And that's also the only way you will win others over for Christ. Look at how the Lord Jesus conducted himself. He was always gentle and respectful and kind. He did not make personal attacks, but he dealt with the issues. He rarely became angry. And he would become angry only once it was clear that he was dealing with unrepentant people who would have nothing to do with God when they were deliberately blaspheming God. For that reason, he spoke very harshly against the Pharisees. But for the rest, he was gentle and kind. For you and for me, it is hard to look into the hearts of people. And therefore, we cannot do the same as the Lord Jesus did. And so we always have to be cautious. We may never be harsh, but gentle. And that is hard at times. And if you slip up, then you had better be willing to own up to it and ask for forgiveness. And then the Lord will also bless you and make you an effective instrument in his hand to win others. For in this way you can also show that you're a child of God. And brothers and sisters, boys and girls, that's what it is all about. Why did God put you here on this earth? As we will see this afternoon, to praise and glorify his name. Not in order to toot your own horn. Not in order to protect yourself. Not in order to protect your own reputation. But in order to promote the reputation of God. There is no other reason for you to be here on this earth. Let's remember that. Peter says in verse 13 that nobody is going to harm you if you are eager to do good. But then he says in verse 14, even if you do that perfectly, that doesn't mean that you do not, will not suffer. Look at the Lord Jesus. He speaks about that further on in his letter. Look at how he suffered, and he was perfect in everything that he said. The devil is always trying to derail us. And your conduct may be impeccable, but nevertheless you will still be attacked. Satan is always out to do his destructive work. He wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy relationships. We, however, are called to restore relationships. To restore relationship with God in heaven. To, re to restore relationships between man and man. And we should never tire of doing that. And you may say that's difficult to do, especially when you're dealing with people who are hostile to you and arrogant and aggressive. Well, as I said in the beginning of my sermon, we can only make an impact on others if we have a relationship with them. The Lord God also established a relationship with you and with me. And do you know when he did that? He did that while we were still his enemies. He did that while we were still in our sin. In spite of our sin, our hostility, our arrogance, God nevertheless comes to us with his wonderful promises and he gives us the promises of salvation and the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. 
And time and again he breaks through our thick-headedness and our arrogance and he claims us for his own. He continues to work in us and he does not give up on us. That's why we may not give up on others either. We may not give up on one another either. Oh sure, there will be a point where you will say that someone absolutely does not want to listen. But that's the end of a long road. And then you can go on. But you always have to take, you always have to allow that long process to take place. Brothers and sisters, the Lord God has put you and me in the midst of this sinful world. And he wants to hasten his coming and to make the number of the elect complete. And he wants you and me to bring it about through his help. And only through his help can we also do that. Amen.